Jeff, where has the time gone? I know exactly where it's gone. It's gone into 332 pages of my latest book. (laughs) You know, that's been a massive effort on your part, and I think it's the best thing you've ever written. Really? Yeah, seriously. Well, the book you did on the Canon PowerShot G10 was a masterpiece, (laughs) but this one, this one I'm going to reach to many, many times, I know. Yeah, well, you know, we both spend a lot of time with Adobe Lightroom, and then when it's released soon, my Adobe Lightroom course and compendium should help. That's right. Lightroom is a big, fat program. It's constantly evolving. I know I'm not the only one who could use some guidance navigating the catacombs of panels and modules in that program. So, wait, I just spent the past year plus writing this thing, and now you want to talk about it? I want to photocombobulate it, Jeff. On this episode, Jeff, you're the expert and I'm the fumbling novice. So I want to toss questions at you about Lightroom and have you answer them. Game? Why not? Let's go. All right. So let's start from 30,000 feet. What is Lightroom? Or should I say, what are Lightroom? Oh, what are all the Lightrooms? Yeah, this used to be a really easy question to answer. And in fact, without getting too much into like the history of how the book was produced. When you approach a project like this, initially it was going to be like all the Lightrooms. And it soon became apparent that there's just no way we could do that. So Lightroom, there are four components to Lightroom. And I think because of Adobe and their masterful way of screwing up their naming it's still confusing for a lot of people. So there's Lightroom Classic. So Lightroom Classic is the original Lightroom. Um, It is more desktop focused, and it's basically what most Lightroom using photographers have used for a long time. And then Apple came out with Lightroom. And part of the confusion here is that Lightroom Classic was called Lightroom. And then they called it Lightroom CC because it tied into Creative Cloud or something. Right. And then they made this new app. But instead of trying to differentiate it, they renamed that Lightroom CC and then turned Lightroom CC into Lightroom Classic. And to this day – and this was – I mean, honestly, this was like four years ago, five years ago maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. To this day, people get confused. Um, I'm still confused. It's been years and I'm yeah. still confused. So so the, the, <laughs> what differentiates this is that Lightroom, just plain old Lightroom or Lightroom Desktop, it's it's kind of easier to say Lightroom Desktop. It is Lightroom built from the ground up, just, just rebuilt. And part of that is because Lightroom Classic, it, it's an old program. And so mm-hmm. there's there's been a lot of legacy code. People who've used it for a long time, like it was slow, it was sluggish. And so what what the new Lightroom is, it's it's basically faster, leaner. It doesn't have a whole lot of the extra features that you know a lot of people don't use in Lightroom Classic. But the key to it is that it is cloud-focused. So whenever you import something into Lightroom, 
Lightroom desktop, sorry. <laughs> Lightroom CC desktop. Um, Non-Lightroom Classic. Just not Lightroom clear. Classic. Yeah. Not right Lightroom yeah. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When you import something into there, it will automatically get uploaded to your Creative Cloud account, like your, your storage there. And the cool thing about that is then you can sync it to all your devices. You can sync it to the other part of this, which is Lightroom Mobile. And the Lightroom for mobile apps – they run on uh, you know, Android phones, iPhones, and iPads, mm-hmm. and that lets you have access to your, um, to your photos on your portable device, and you can edit it, um, and all the edits sync nice and clean. Uh, so like, like for example, what a great thing to do is I have my iPad, and after I do a photo shoot, I can import them into my computer – they go up to the cloud. They come back down to my iPad uh, with with copies, and I can review those there. I can make some edits and know that when I get back to Lightroom on my computer, that that just like like those edits are just there. I'm not redoing any work. Right, and it's brilliant if you're traveling, right, and you don't want to bring your laptop. Um, you know, I, I really love Lightroom Mobile on my iPad. Mm-hmm. You can use the pencil. It's really it's really elegant. Um, but I don't use the Lightroom desktop and I'm using air quotes here. Right. Um, I don't use the Lightroom desktop because I use Lightroom classic, right. but they synchronize still. There's, it's just a little jinky, right? It's, it, it's <laughs> janky. We could definitely get into that. Cause that, that's sort of like this little side alley. Um, but yeah. before, before we do that, I, I just want to mention the other part of it. Uh, there's also a Lightroom for web and it's kind of the the plumbing that is out there that facilitates a lot of this but has a web interface. So you can actually go to lightroom.adobe.com, sign into your Adobe ID and have your images there and do, I would say, most of the editing that you could do on your desktop. So let's that, say – That blows my mind. So you could be like in an internet cafe in Bogota. Yes. And work on your photos even if you just had your phone yes. with you. Yeah, wow. exactly, exactly, um, and and that way you can just you know like like have access to your library. Let's say you you don't have any devices with you, and you know a, a client says, "Hey, we need uh, this shot, or we need like an emergency edit of, of of this shot." Do you have like another version of this that that we sure. could use? As long as you have an internet connection, you can actually get that, and you don't even have to like download it and resend it to them. You can just provide them a link and they can download it. So it's That's really so cool. It's actually really cool. It's sort of unheralded, but for our purposes because we're typically using Lightroom Classic or Lightroom Mobile, um it just doesn't come up a lot, but it's there. So that's good to know. Well, let's go up to 60,000 feet then and okay. talk about <laughs> I can't <laughs> to breathe. Beat, to beat, I know it's it's hard <laughs> up there. I can't believe that this would even happen, but let's pretend there's somebody out there that listens to this podcast that's never used Lightroom. Mm-hmm. What the hell is it? Why Why would you want to use Lightroom? <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, basically Lightroom is t- two things. One, it is a photo editor. Um, so it has you know, lots and lots of professional tools for turning a you know, the, the photo you shot into an edited version and – Lots and lots and lots and lots of different possibilities there. But mm-hmm. it is also a library manager. And so rather than having to keep track of everything 
on your computer with folders and opening files manually, basically like like the, the Photoshop model where mm-hmm. you're in Photoshop, you want to edit something, you go file open and you get to that file and you open it, you save it, and maybe you save it with a revision. Uh, you end up with, sure. you know, image one, two, three, four, dash, <laughs> edit, dash, final, dash, really final, dash. Seriously, now this is seriously the last done, one. Yep. Yep. dot. PNG, <laughs> right? like all yeah. of that. And so what Lightroom does is it keeps track of where all your, your images are. So like just as a real, again, like, you know, let's say 45,000 feet uh, okay. level, um, you do some sort of a photo shoot and you come back, you import your images. You've already set it up so that uh, Lightroom will put those in a specific place. Usually it's like your pictures folder. Um, sure. you know, the, the way I have it set up is it makes new folders for every day. And so, you know, all the photos I shot on Saturday go into that date. All those photos are shot on Sunday, go into the next date. And I don't have to touch those files at all because Lightroom keeps track of where they are. And then what it will also do is it keeps track of anything you do to those files. So in that sense, Lightroom is also like a big database. So yeah. so if I take one of those files and I add some keywords to it so that I can find it later, um, and then I you know make some exposure adjustments and boost the clarity and crop it, the file on disk doesn't change at all. So you know it's it's a true non-destructive editor, and then Lightroom, the the app in its database knows okay for file one two three four dot img or image one two three four it needs to be cropped to this dimension at these specific points, exposure needs to be plus one, and these keywords need to be added. So it's handling all of that for you, which is one thing that I, I really like because I hate having to manage things all over my my sure. my desktop and stuff. Well, and it keeps your storage down, right? So when I was trying to explain this to, to students, I always say it's it's you're writing a recipe card. You're not actually making the cake. Right. Um, when you're working on that photo in Lightroom, it's because it's non-destructive. Um, you're simply compiling a list of instructions. And mm-hmm. then when you create the JPEG or you send it off to a printer or something like that, that's when you're actually baking that cake. And so I should have stolen that for my book. <laughs> <laughs> next, next version. Thanks next for version. It. Okay. Um, Lightroom in my mind, Lightroom has always been two programs in one. It's one of the things I love about it is it's my management program. Um, but it's also where I can work on my photos. Now it used to be, I would start working on my photos in Lightroom. And then I would go somewhere else to finish the job because Lightroom was sort of thin on features that in that respect. Nowadays, I hardly ever leave Lightroom to work on things. And I want to get yeah. back to that later. But before we get there, I want to stay on the first part of the answer because the asset management part of Lightroom, I think, is its killer feature because I have 280,000 images in my library. Wow. In my Lightroom catalog. And we should probably identify what catalog and library are. Those are two separate yeah, things, yeah. right? But let's talk about me. Let's talk about me, Chad. Let's talk about you. <laughs> I have all these photos. I've been taking photos for a long time, and I have tons of them on my hard drives. And Lightroom knows where everything is, mm-hmm. luckily. And 
I want to be organized. I, I really like to be organized, but 280,000 images is a lot to juggle. And I'm not great at writing keywords when I import. Sometimes mm -hmm. I remember, sometimes I don't. I don't always remember to search by keyword. It's just not intuitive to me. But I am a big fan of making collections. I'm a big fan of, of keeping things organized by date. So digging into the Lightroom capabilities on the organization, on the asset management side, how is it? What's our best practices now for keeping organized in Lightroom? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's a big one. I know that's a big one. It is a big one. I will shamelessly promote, I wrote a book called Take Control of Your Digital Photos that talks about a lot of this stuff. So I'm a big proponent of keywords, but I also recognize that, um, well, let's just say it, nobody uses them. <laughs> okay. So um, in fact, like, like one of my editors at Rocky Nook, I don't think he has applied a keyword in his life. And he's he's a great photographer, and he uh, you know deals with photography and photo books all the time. <laughs> and I mentioned this to him once. He's like, ah, I don't even bother. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think it's because he takes that other approach, which is uh, you know putting things into different collections, which is another word for album. So. Mm -hmm. Pardon the giant brain dump that's that's required to sort through this, but it, um, go for it. Yeah, so so Lightroom Classic has collections. Lightroom has and Lightroom Mobile have albums, and honestly, collections is the better term because mm -hmm. like we're not making physical albums. Like the 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 metaphor just doesn't really work anymore. Mm -hmm. Except that that's what everybody calls albums now, right? Yes. So, so that that's just. It's a comfortable term for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's a comfortable nomenclature. And so um, there are some people who, you know, will will do a project like um, – like for example, I imagine that um, when you went to that uh, – you went to a recent event where you shot a bunch of um, motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm guessing without seeing your Lightroom library, um, you probably like – have a folder for that event, like like motorcycle day or whatever, so that you know exactly. And and you know and maybe that's in like like a sub album or subfolder of um, you know action photography, and then inside of that is motorcycle day. And so right, um, what's great about all of this is that it can accommodate those different styles. So if you want to do collections and things. That's great. And what's nice about collections is that they're virtual. So when you move all those those images into that motorcycle day uh, collection, you're not actually moving them on disk. They can be right. anywhere on disk. And so that's super easy, super convenient. Yeah, at most we're making just a couple kilobytes, right, of data as we yeah. make a collection. Yeah, right? yeah we're not, yeah. not totally. duplicating things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's all sort of wrapped up in in the the Lightroom catalog, so you don't even have to even think about what's going on under the hood. So there, there's that approach. So there's also the the, the keywording approach, which I like because um, not necessarily because I get super deep into keywords, although Lightroom has an amazingly deep ability to create keywords. Like you can define a keyword and there's a dialogue in there that will let you define related words 
that are tied to that keyword and you can have like multiple nests of keywords and so I, I, I got to stop you for a second. Yeah, that's in Lightroom desktop. Classic. Not no, sorry. that's in classic. That's, that's in not classic. In classic. That's, that's in classic? classic. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of an AI sensei, right? We're going to use that word, well, which is sort old, of maybe old school. <laughs> no, no. So okay, so it's important to remember that Lightroom Classic has has accreted over a, a long period yes. of time, and I think the keywording capabilities uh, came from that. I okay. don't know anybody aside from, say, professional photographers who you know need to have those keywords to deliver files, like um, event photographers. Um, mm-hmm. If you're stock shoot- photographers, which would live and die by that, right? Yes, stock photographers. Yeah. Like, like you're shooting a red carpet event, and you need to have tags and keywords for this event because it's going to go on the news. Wa- uh, the newswire, newswire is that what they're still called? <laughs> I don't know. Out on the wire. Out on That's the wire. Going back to my days. Yes, it'd be yeah. going out uh, onto the web now, Jeff. That'd onto the, the, the web, world the, wide web. The internets. That's yes. right. I forget about the internets. Anyway, it's a bunch of tubes. <laughs> when you need something that has like a really quick turnaround like that, like that sort of structure helps. But for most people, you absolutely do not need that granular level of detail. But it's there, and mm-hmm. I know that. Like for some people, that's the itch. That needs to be scratched. Like they need that sort of organization. I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past. You know, like like how how you approach something. Some people like they shoot photos because they love the editing process and they love to mm-hmm. you know get into like all the different things you can do. Well, same on the on the metadata side. Some people like it soothes their inner soul to have a, a you know multiple nested keyword hierarchy now so so i want you you're going to go back to what you're talking about then right uh, about yeah how it can eventually i'll, I'll, I'll go back <laughs> okay good okay good. okay so so basically my approach like like my personal approach is um i like having keywords and i like to have them just like like at maybe a a general level. Um, one of the things I love about Lightroom Classic is that when you're importing photos into Classic, you have this fairly complicated import window that th- there's the option to assign keywords during import. And what I like about that is, you know, for your motorcycle day, that's going to be the the, the subject apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our, our example, um, you know, like you could just do. Uh, you know, uh, Portland motorcycles, um, Sony event. I don't know sports. That, that's pretty whatever. much what I did. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and that that at least you know gives you like some metadata structure, and all that just gets automatically added. And if you want to, you could then break that down to like tag everything that's a Yamaha motorcycle or a BMW motorcycle. Like yeah. if. If you had a need for that. But what's good is that sometime down the road, you're going to be like, I remember that I made a really cool motorcycle shot. And so you can type in motorcycle or I remember that it was this Sony event. So Sony event, Mm -hmm. comma, motorcycle. And that frees you up a whole bunch of time just sort of scrolling, trying to remember, like, was that in 2023? Was that in 2019? Was it in the summer? All that. Because Uh, by default, your Lightroom catalog is a sequential list of 
photos that yeah. started started when you started importing photos and ends with your latest import. And so it is a chronology. And mm-hmm. that chronology, in my case, is is uh, unwieldy, you know, 280,000 images. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what you're advocating for is that we use keywords to be able to filter the massive catalog into things that we would want to find on a quick search. Yes. So yes. a great example would be, um, when I imported my photos, I knew the name of the event. I knew where it was. So I put those keywords in, mm-hmm. uh, and I put, I think I did put motorcycle, right? Okay. What I didn't put in the keywords was the names of the riders or the group of writers that mm-hmm. I photographed. I have since found out those names. And so I could go back and amend those, uh, onto those photos, which would be smart, right? It'd be smart for me to put their Instagram handles and all of that stuff on those, yeah. those photos. So I would know, um, in for future reference who those people are. Let's say, um, somebody reaches out and says, Hey, we want to use that photo in a magazine article. And, uh, we really liked it. We saw it on Instagram. We really liked it. Uh, I, you need to go get permission from that person, you know, to use the photo. That would be great to have that data and not have to spend two hours trying to figure that out. Definitely. I I really like that idea where I go with keywords. Usually is I'll, I'll usually remember to throw a few on when I'm importing and it just slathers the, that whole pile of photos with those same keywords. Yes. Um, and then I forget about the keywords and I use (laughs) the collections to be organized. Um, totally great. But where I want to go in the future is something we talked about with Mark Heaps a little bit in our last mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. I want to go on import where Lightroom says, Hey, uh, looks like you photographed some motorcycles in Portland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want me to keyword these photos with these keywords? That's where I want to go. I, I don't want to have to make a list of keywords. I want Lightroom to identify. Right. Um, and they would be able to identify brands. They would be able to identify, Mm-hmm. You know, all of this stuff because you'd be using a large pool of known data, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which okay. Is the basis so here's, of AI. So here, here's where that. AI comes in and here's also where things bifurcate a little bit. Okay. Be- so uh, you can almost do exactly that in Lightroom Desktop mm. because Lightroom Desktop is connected to Adobe Sensei. So, so the – the other advantage to having your your images in the cloud other than being able to sync them to your devices is that Adobe is using all of its uh, machine learning processing on those. Okay. We're going to set classic completely to the side because you can kind of okay. do this in classic. We're going to set that to the side for a second. Um, so let's say you imported everything into Lightroom Desktop and then all those images went up to the cloud and filled up your storage. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is another problem, but uh, you know that's also a, a income generator for Adobe. Yeah. But whatever. All right. So, without you having to do anything, without your computer even needing to be on, Adobe is scanning all those images and building uh, basically information about them, so that when you go to your collection, let's say a couple of hours later or the next day or whatever. Um, you could just type motorcycle, and even if you had added no keywords, it would see that there are motorcycles in those images and bring up those as uh, search results. And maybe you know motorcycles. Maybe um, you could do smoke. You know, the mm-hmm. lots of smoke at a, at, a, at an event. Um, 
you know, so like like uh, other examples, you know, just things that that the AI can identify in an object. You know, cars, bicycles, um, winter scenes, snow, like all of those the, those things that it can figure out. Like this is something that is in this image. Um, kind of gets you around the keywording problem because yeah. ba- basically it's it's keywording for you but it's not actually applying them as keywords it's just it's just a visual search engine grabbing at that, that. Point. yeah right yeah, yeah exactly now which is an evolution of keywording is exactly what it would be yeah so um you no longer have to keyword because your search engine can just find the images and which would be wonderful because I haven't keyworded discipline uh, I haven't been key- disciplined about keywording right. for years. Right. And so I've got, I don't know how many photos of the Oregon coast, for instance. Oh yeah. And I would love to be able to say, you know, lighthouse photos and have them find all the lighthouse photos that I've taken over the years, which is probably thousands. Yeah. And it can do that. It, yeah, it could do that. It, you know, it probably get to the point where it could identify the lighthouse. I know we've talked about this in the past where it could identify birds and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty amazing, uh, ability. So let's open back that door to Lightroom Classic, which is what a lot of us use. Yeah. What would it take, do you think, to enable Sensei? Uh, obviously, Lightroom Classic's not populating your photos up to the cloud. Uh, is there a way to populate Lightroom Classic with Sensei? So far, no. So no, because that would make it run even slower. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a couple things going on. Um, so one, uh, you can put your images from classic to the cloud, but rather than just doing it all automatically, you you put them in collections and you mark a collection to be synced, and that's yeah. that's the way to do that. And so then, when it's in the cloud, the cloud can identify those types of things. The problem is, is that at least so far, Lightroom Classic doesn't have like a, a connection to that. So mm-hmm. so when you go and you, you do a text search, it's just going to look for text in your metadata. So keywords. Keywords that I've actually entered. That you've actually so entered. So even, even if a collection is synced, yeah. I'd have to go into Lightroom Desktop Yes. Activate the sensei function. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes or, sense. It or makes mobile. Sense. So. Or mobile. So, yeah. yeah. So I. I mean, you know, one uh, practical thing that you could do. It's not really elegant, but um, you could upload. Well, let's say you you do some calling, and out of a thousand pictures that you took, there are two hundred that you like, and um, you, you put those into a collection that's like uh, your motorcycle day, good pictures, and you sync that, mm-hmm. okay? So mm-hmm. knowing that that's going to be up in the cloud, someone comes back to you later and they say, hey, you posted this thing on Instagram. We'd love to get a shot because we have this of you know our, our stunt team. Um, right. What you could do is you could grab your iPad and you could do that, that sensei search because that's tied in also. Mm-hmm. Figure out what – which one it is, and then uh, you know, go into Lightroom Classic and and get the original full resolution version of that. Sure. So sure. You know, not again. That's not yeah. not elegant. Um, not elegant, but certainly a lot easier than thumbing through two hundred eighty thousand photos. Exactly. Thumbnail by thumbnail. 
Exactly. So, you know, I I mean, a a big part of our conversation here is 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 time because Adobe has has built Lightroom Classic to cater to people who you know probably aren't using uh, any sort of cloud stuff, but also like none of the cloud stuff existed. And I think right. And 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 this is just my speculation based on observation. I think that that one of the big reasons that they they kind of restarted with the Lightroom desktop is because it was not going to be easy to put that into classic. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, g- given the fact that, um, that we should also mention going way back up to 60,000 feet, um, even though there is Lightroom and there is Lightroom classic, Adobe has been really good and consistent about updating the both. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not as worried as I used to be that classic was just going to go away and be replaced by the regular Lightroom. I'm not going to rule it out. It would make sense for them to do that, but that doesn't seem to be a priority. I think they well, know their audience well enough. I think so. And, and, you know, to give some context for people who haven't been, you know, neck deep in this stuff forever, like we have, <laughs> there was a long time where Lightroom was really suffering for speed. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, everybody was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can keep using Lightroom. I just can't sit and watch that beach ball spin anymore. And Adobe dug down into some black magic and uh, and figured out a way to make Lightroom Classic run faster without losing any of the features. At the same time, they said, we're making a new version of Lightroom that is going to be really fast and really mm-hmm. nimble. One of the reasons it's fast and nimble is it's just not as full featured. But yeah, we know that there are some people that don't need all this stuff. So we're going to offer this up and even offer it up at a, at a better price point for subscription and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some really nice advantages to not using classic if you're not using all of the feature sets of classic. Um, yeah. But what I want to go back to is what you just said, which I think is really important. There was a time when they said that, that everybody sort of like, oh my God, I got to start transitioning from... The product that I know, even though I'm frustrated with how slow it runs, it has it has everything in it I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I do all my work in it. I've got all my catalog stuff, all my keywords, all the stuff I've worked on for years. Now I'm going to have to migrate to a, a lesser product. And Adobe said, "No, you. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna develop both of them side by side." And it's it's been really nice because in the la- latest releases of Lightroom Classic, they've added some stuff that is. Just, yeah, I hate to even use the term because it's used all the time, but it's game changing. It's, you know, yeah. it solidifies Lightroom Classic's role in a professional workflow. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's, I mean, let's, yeah. Well, I was to say, I mean, like, like Cla- Lightroom Classic does a lot. And you look at, at Apple and Aperture. Aperture did a lot. And mm-hmm. Apple was like, yeah, but. Again, I'm speculating, but it seems it seems like they said, um, yes, Aperture does a lot, but um, the market for professional photographers and enthusiast amateurs isn't really at the level that we want it to be. So what we're going to do is we're just going to finish Aperture and we're going to put it into this new Photos app and Photos will be for everybody. And it is for everybody, but a, a lot of stuff was lost when they just got rid of Aperture. And I think, you know, that had to have been the model for Adobe to say, we can't do that unless we just want to lose all of our customers. 
Um, right. And it, it's also worth saying, you know, to, to, to kind of wrap up the whole uh, library portion of this is not only does it have this capability, but you're talking about people who have their entire libraries here in inside Lightroom. Now, from a you know company standpoint, a lock-in standpoint, that's great. But also from a mm-hmm. practical standpoint, it turns out that doing photo libraries is really difficult. And yeah. so there's not a good way to just say, oh, I'll just switch to Capture One or I'll just switch to you know something else. There's no really good path for that. There are tools like there's a program called Avalanche that is – uh, really interesting in you know being able to kind of you know merge different libraries and work with them together, but you're just not going to get that like oh I can just switch and and move forward like it's a big damn deal. So mm-hmm. the one tiny tiny thing you mentioned uh, libraries versus catalogs. Just a quick thing to point out is that Lightroom Classic you can have multiple catalogs. So like let's say you have you know. Um, Let's say you were shooting the motorcycle day for a client and maybe you just want a catalog that has just those things and separate from your personal photos. Uh, Lightroom desktop and mobile, you basically just have one library that's tied to your Adobe ID. So you you can't do that. You don't Um, have that option. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just had to get that off my get that off my chest. I'm I'm glad you said that because I wanted I wanted to touch on that. Adobe has done a, a fine job. I won't say great. I'll save that for future things. But uh, Adobe's done a fine job of creating a suite of products that work together pretty well, even though mostly well they they do the same thing. And yeah. so I want to I want to branch off and head off towards this direction because we just started teasing it a little bit. Okay. I know there are people out there. When I teach classes, people bring this up a lot. I don't want to pay for the Adobe subscription. I don't want to do. I don't want to make this commitment to going on to the Adobe ecosystem. Yeah. What yeah. other products out there? And I know you've tried a lot of these. You've been looking at some of these things really recently. Um, I've tried uh, uh, several other products and I keep coming back to Lightroom because I'm like, gosh, mm-hmm. you know, nobody else has figured this out quite like Adobe has. So yeah. what is out there that's similar to Lightroom? Um, well, so the first thing that comes to mind is Capture One and it, it in the sense that like it is doing the library, it is doing the, the the editing, like those features. I don't think it is as full-featured as Lightroom, but there are some people who just swear by it. It's it's yeah. great, especially for like uh, portrait studio photographers where you are tethered to your computer and you're just shooting directly into Capture One. You can do it in Lightroom, but – from you know what I know of people who do this for a living, Capture One is is like their preference. There's also On One Photo Raw, I think. Yeah, the, I haven't again been able to keep. Here's up the other thing: them, but like yeah. all of these are Photo Raw Pro, Light, Light Dark yeah. Pro, whatever. So, um, the company On One has a similar suite that also does the library that also does. Uh, you know the the, the editing um, also full featured. I've written about Luminar in the past, and mm-hmm. Luminar wanted to be Lightroom for a while. Um, and honestly, I think they ran up against just how difficult it is to have a library. And so, even though they had promised to you know unseat Lightroom, uh, what they actually delivered, they they scaled way back and then basically basically said. 
You know what? Uh, yes, you can have your library and it'll make it easier for you to edit your photos, but we're not really doing much more than just that. So yeah, it's very, um, basic. very basic. I would not store my photos in Luminar anymore. Um, I prefer to use Luminar if there's a feature that I need to use that as a an extension or plugin from Lightroom Classic to send mm-hmm. it out, do the edit, and have my the, the results sent right back to Classic, which is another very cool thing about Classic. It has this this architecture, so you can bring in some of those other tools. Lightroom Desktop yeah. does not. Right. That's a, that's a good point. Um, a lot of us use plugins. I don't use them as much as I used to, but yeah. um, Nick, Topaz, all of these wonderful plugins that feed your photo right back into the asset management system of Lightroom is, is really nice. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, we don't need to go down that road of what other options are, because I think both of us have been willing in the past to explore other options and we keep coming mm-hmm. back to Lightroom. I hate to say it, but I pretty much hitched my wagon to Adobe and I'm going to happily pay that subscription because I think yeah. it's a good value. I think for what it, for what I do, it works really, really well. So let's talk about the processing side of Lightroom. Let's talk about the fun side of Lightroom, right? Yeah. Uh, they've added a lot of really cool stuff, a lot of new AI features and masking and selection and all this stuff. Let's talk about what is some of your favorite new stuff in the processing side of Lightroom? It is not hyperbole for me to say that the masking features that they've introduced uh, over the last year and a half um, have changed the way I use Lightroom and the way Mm -hmm. I edit photos. And it's not like I never used masks in the past. It's just that now the the AI-based ones are really good at picking out different specific sections. So like, for example, you could always – make a linear gradient and, for example, you want your sky to be a little bit more dramatic. The, the clouds mm-hmm. are there, but they're they're kind of kind of soft. And so you do a linear gradient, you'd increase your exposure and decrease your uh, – sorry, decrease your exposure, increase the contrast. You get you know, more interesting clouds. You know, like that stuff's all there now. But what it can do now is – very, very accurately make a mask over a selection. So if you have a person there standing in front of the clouds and even if they have windy hair or something, you click a button and it selects the subject and it does all the hair and everything. And if you've ever spent any time trying to do that manually or sending it off to Photoshop and using its tools to try to you know mm-hmm. get, get the edges, um, it will be blow your freaking mind the first time because yeah. i mean it's not it's not 100% all the time but it is very close most of the time and, and it's fast and it's, it's fast so fast yeah it's really fast yeah you know like it it, it just does it so can't believe and, i'm and, saying that about lightroom classic but it's fast <laughs> it is fast right? yeah and 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 this feature uh is in all, all the different variations of it and the masks mm-hmm. transfer between devices. But um, what that does is it allows you to, to – to, what's a good way of saying this? It allows you to do things that you could do before or maybe you didn't do because they were just too complicated. 
So uh, for example, like uh, I have an example in my book. Um, I did a portrait session with uh, my sister and her family. And it's my sister mm-hmm. and my niece and they're sitting on a log in a park and there's uh, you know, cloudy uh, sky behind them. But there's also like a little hill in the background and it's on the water. So – you know, you could absolutely do that linear gradient um, to darken the background, but maybe you don't want to darken the the hill behind them, and you don't necessarily need to do anything to the the water behind them. And if you drag mm-hmm. that down because they're in the frame, like they're also getting dark. Right. So, uh, one thing you, you could do is you make that gradient; everybody gets dark, but then you create a mask that just says "select subject." And it grabs both of those people and and then you can either like change the exposure on them or you can basically like have masks that work together. So what I have in that case is I want to subtract the subject from that mask. Mm-hmm. So what I would have to do in the past is go in with a brush and paint them out and that's never – very accurate. Now mm-hmm. it just knows, all right, here, th- these are two people. They are probably the subject and we're just not going to apply these adjustments to them. And that's it. And also it. I should point out that I'm not dealing with layers. Like this isn't Photoshop right. where you have to think about blend modes. One of the great things mm-hmm. about Lightroom compared to Photoshop is that Lightroom was always the no layer version of editing. Because layers can get really complicated and I think for a lot of people, just the concept of layers can be difficult until you've wrapped your head around them. And so – Well, and, and the results weren't always gratifying, right? Exactly. It, it, yeah. It was – they weren't intuitive. Yeah. Exactly. There were a lot more steps to do something. So mm-hmm. here with, with the different masks, like technically they're kind of sort of layers but – what you're doing is you're masking an area and you're applying separate adjustments that don't just apply to the entire image. And so you can, you know, make the people in your in your image um, a little bit brighter to make them stand out. Mm-hmm. Or, and this is what kind of blew my mind in the last major release, because this is AI, because it understands that those are people, it understands parts of people. So you yeah. can say, I want select the skin, like the facial skin and the body skin of the subjects. It will make a mask for that. And so mm-hmm. then, you know, you, you could like just adjust the exposure for that or, you know, maybe the the um, color balance is off. Color balance, you know, yeah. Like, like the, that's kind of a huge thing. Or – just the eyes. Like I just want the eyes to pop a little bit more. I want a little bit of exposure and a little bit more contrast um, because you know with portraits, that's that's what you want. Like you're drawn to the yep. eyes. So you can make those masks and literally all you're doing is you're saying, I want to click this person, select this person and I want to um, select their eyes and that's it. Like, like you're not – painting on them at all. Yeah. And it's A, it gives you a lot of creative flexibility. B, it's super fast because Mm -hmm. all you had to do was like make a couple of clicks and then you can do whatever you want with it. And because it's non-destructive, you can, you know, you can make their eyes red if you want. Uh, Yeah. You know, um, and 
you're not affecting any of the pixels. So you have lots of lots of um, variation. Um, another example that I have in the book is you can add light that wasn't there. Actually, I, I wrote about this in my my photo AI newsletter. Maybe we'll put a link in the in the show notes. Yeah, um, that showed how to do this. Where basically had like a portrait of a, of a person, and one side of their face was just darker than I would have liked because I only had one light and we were outside. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to like like bring up some illumination there. If I had been like in a more studio setting, maybe I would have a reflector or another light sure. to, to fill that in. In a perfect well, world, right? In a perfect world, yeah. So what I was able to do in Lightroom is sort of create a light, which was just a, a, a radial gradient, nice and warm and soft, put that next to him. Um, and so that that lit up that side of his face. Um, just you know the, the 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 edge of the gradient just hitting right there. But then of course you know you're lighting up the the area behind him. So then I was able to intersect, like take a uh, like select him as a subject, and then do an intersect, which basically said like like just use the part where these two masks overlap, and so that got rid of the light in the background, and only lit that side of his face. And so it looks like I had another light there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that is something that would have been difficult to do because if I had just like increased the exposure of the shadows, it affects everything. You don't want that. Everything. Or you're going in there with a the brush. And there are lots of talented people who will go into Photoshop with a, you know, a, a Wacom tablet and, um, you know, like like they're really talented at that. I'm not an artist in that way. And usually I just want like a little pop of, of highlight or something. And that's something that I could do without leaving Lightroom. Yeah. And it makes the creative process, you know, one of our intents when we use a program like Lightroom is we have a visual, a mind's eye idea of what we want that photo to look like. Yeah. And good software just helps you realize that quickly and without suffering. And I, yeah, I want to go back and and confirm what you were just saying because I, I do think this is the biggest thing Lightroom's done in years and years and years, mm-hmm. possibly ever. In the past, we would approach a photograph in Lightroom as a global edit and then as local edits. And so, global edits affecting every pixel in the shot. Local edits would be brushwork or maybe a gradient tool or radial gradient, like you were talking about, some sort of of targeted adjustment to a certain part of the image. The part that wasn't working in Lightroom for the longest time was uh, really precise masks where Mm -hmm. we are saying, I don't want the hair that's over the sky to get darker (laughs) when we darken the sky. And it was really hard to brush those hairs in Lightroom, right? You have to get down to the small one pixel size brush and be really precise and you could fuddle around with it, but it was really frustrating. Now, instead of starting with a global adjustment sequence that I normally would back in the day, I'm, I'm starting right now with AI masking. I'm like, I want the subject and I'm going to treat the subject differently than the background. And I'm going to treat each subject differently. So what we haven't said, which is worth mentioning is not only will Lightroom identify the subject, it'll identify all of the people in the photo and give them each their own identity in the masking uh, panel. So you can yeah. say person one, person two, person three, click on that. And then within that person face, 
hair, clothing, you know, all our whole body. And that is incredible to combine that with the ability to modify those masks with luminosity ranges, uh, color ranges, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I no longer see a need for going to Photoshop unless I'm doing some crazy like object removal. And even that Lightroom doesn't yeah. do a good job with anymore. So it, it, it's, it does an it's okay crazy. job. Yeah. The, the, actually like, like the healing, the object removal, even though uh, they did add a content remove um, eraser tool, um, it, it's okay. It's, it's not, not what Photoshop it, can do. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it depends on, on what you're removing, but I want to follow up on, on one more thing. Uh, which I, I think you were going to ask me about anyway, but this is a good a mm -hmm. good time. Um, Go for it. Not only are you able to make all these masks, but you can create adaptive presets that use these masks. Now, forever, I've always been, yeah. you know, that sort of floating high above presets because I don't want my photos to look like somebody else's photos, and um, you know, like. Well, it was it was. <sighs> Let's be frank. Presets for a lot of people out there was a business for them. Totally. Like you yes. want my looks, buy my presets. And yeah. it was always like, you know, you're basically selling me a cookbook, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I could learn how to cook on my own and then come up with my own recipes that are better. Yeah. Um, and I always saw presets as an obstruction to learning. And so now though, yeah. What you're yeah. going to tell me is <laughs> presets now have expanded functionality that is mind blowing, and I'm just yeah. just starting to to explore them, and it's crazy. It's really yeah. wild. So so here's the thing, and you can have they call them adaptive presets because you can include one of these AI masks in your preset, and what that means is let's you know again take the example of um, like you. You're doing a portrait session um, and your preset may have things like like you know you want the, the overall saturation to be reduced um, you want uh, you know like, like maybe like a, a subtle uh, you know color profile or a, a lot added like those sort of like quote unquote looks. But mm -hmm. you also want to make sure, because this is a portrait session, you want to make the people look flattering. So you want to add a little sparkle to their eyes. You want to maybe apply a small amount of skin smoothing, um, you know, or you want to make sure that that maybe the the shadows in their clothing are not too dark, and so you're you're you know you're seeing the detail in their clothing. Or you blew well, the whole lighting setup for that shoot and your, you lights, are, your lights are too yellow, right? Your lights are too yellow. And yeah. so you want to add uh, a color correction to the whole uh, – just the person, right? Because your, yeah. your key light was too too warm, yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah. so, so there are some adaptive presets that are included that are just like enhance eyes. Mm -hmm. And so you don't even have to go in and – Go to the masking panel, choose a person, choose the eye masks, create that, do your adjustment. You just tap this adaptive preset and it does that. If you have multiple people, it will just select all of the eyes and make this adjustment, which you can then edit later if you think it's too much mm -hmm. or too little. But literally with one click, one click, you have made this adjustment and it's – like uh, another example is um, 
they're adaptive presets. One that makes um, basically like smooth hair, and another one that's like sort of more contrasty hair. So you know, in, like like in in some shots, you have a model that has like you know really you know long hair. Like you want that detail, and you can enhance that detail. Mm-hmm. You click once, boom, it's done. So wow. those are the ones that are built in. But then you can build, like as you were just saying, you can build your own presets. So if you get done with a photo shoot and you edit one of those shots and you realize that, you know, you had to – like you applied a vignette and you uh, did the eye sparkle and the, the skin smoothing and all that. Um, and, and actually I also want to mention the skin smoothing, all Lightroom is doing is taking the texture slider and reducing it. And so you actually still get the texture of the skin. Right. You don't it doesn't have, look like a porcelain doll. Right. It doesn't look like porcelain. Yeah, it doesn't look airbrushed. And, uh, I, like, right. I really like the way they've implemented this. Um, so you do that on, on one of your shots. Well, the problem is unless you are shooting a statue, you know, like people move within the frame. And mm-hmm. in the past, if you wanted to, to create masks – you would have that and then, you know, like like in the next shot, they're to the left by a couple of inches. And so yep. you would see where the mask is. Because these are adaptive, because they are AI, the, the application looks at all those images. And so it can say, all right, well, I know that I need to enhance the eyes. And so it finds where the eyes are in all those images. And it needs to, you know, apply some skin smoothing. It's just going to do it wherever the person appears in the image. Right. And you just apply that preset to all those images and you have literally saved yourself hours of time. And it's, that it's, it, it's blows incredible. me away. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. And for people not doing portraiture, right? So we've been talking a lot about the AI yeah, in yeah. regards to identifying people. Mm-hmm. Um, landscapes, you know, subject and background, uh, identification. The mm-hmm. app uses, you know, focal uh, information, right? So it's, it's saying what items are in focus, what items are soft, and it's it's identifying um, possibly through some really cool AI stuff. It could be identifying skies and all of these things. It makes selecting components of a landscape photo that much easier for adjustment. Whereas before, I would have spent in Lightroom, uh, a bunch of time with the lineal gradient mask, maybe some luminosity adjustments to that. Then I would do some radial things kind of here and there to throw a little light around. Now it's so much smarter and it looks a lot less clunky in the final result. It looks more natural. Yeah. Which is yeah, you know, amazing to consider that something so automated and so easy could end up looking more natural than something you spent hours working on. You just mentioned the luminosity masking. Like one super cool thing is, again, like by by taking masks and combining them in different ways. Like one example that I'm thinking of, I had a a shot of a, a mountain reflected in a lake and there was some uh, in the foreground sort of like some dark rocks but with some uh, you know dried grasses kind of poking mm. up through the, through the rocks. Sure. So I wanted to – uh, increase the exposure on those grasses because they were in foreground, they were in shadow, but I like them. I like them as an element. And so, you know, like there are a bunch of different ways you could use a brush and brush over it, but it's just not going to work. 
It's not going to look so, good. <laughs> so one thing that, that, that you could do is use like a, a luminosity mask or in this case, I, I created a color mask that just looked right. at, at that color. And so it, I, I did that and I increased the exposure, I increased the saturation. But of course, it, this was in the fall. So there's lots of things in the, in the rest of the image that were also that color. But I could – Again, use that intersect mask with a brush mm-hmm. so that then all I had to do was just roughly brush that area. And the only bits that were affected are the ones that match that color mask, which were just the grasses. That's so cool. Yeah. Because it would be so. really hard, even in Photoshop three years ago, to mm-hmm. get in there and mask properly to make that grass look natural in, yeah. in a mask. And now it's... You know, we don't even have to leave Lightroom. It's quick, it's simple, and it looks so good. It's incredible. So we could, we could, you know, you've spent over a year now working on this book and you could <laughs> spend days talking about all these features. We do want to plug your book a little bit, but before we get there, I want to pick your brain because I think there's some hidden stuff in Lightroom that I find really satisfying. I really enjoy these things, but nobody talks about them. You don't see YouTube videos about these particular features. Yeah. So when we're in Lightroom Classic, they're up at the top in the, in the interface, up in the upper right-hand corner, there's this row of uh, modules. So you have mm-hmm. Library and Develop, right, which are the two we've been talking about. But then there's right. a few more, and a lot of times those are even hidden. Those are even You can even turn those off. I want you to tell me about some of these hidden modules that you talk about in your book, um, because they are some of the the funnest things I find in Lightroom. I talk about the map one quite a bit, and and that sort of pushes us back into the the, the metadata and the library, uh, because so much of our uh, photography is location based. You want to know which photos you shot. Uh, in the Sierra Nevada or in Paris. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, s- some of that you can add manually. Um, the the thing that I like to do – well, and actually Lightroom Classic, if you have like a dedicated tracking device and that can just be your your watch or an app that, that will generate the right kind of file, um, you know, you can turn that on and go walking around and do your entire photo shoot on a hike or whatever and take that data and – match that with the time codes of the pictures you shot and it'll it'll add all of that data. Um, I honestly never remember to do that. And so yeah. w- what I do instead is that whenever I'm at some location, I will also take a picture using my phone because the phone automatically captures that location data where my regular camera does not. Right. Um, so then when I, I bring it all into Lightroom, um, Lightroom Mobile I have set to automatically grab my iPhone pictures too. So everything comes into the library. And so when I get to that location, I can just see, okay, here's the iPhone one and that has location information. And I can just uh, sync that data to all the rest of the shots in that in that area. And suddenly they're all tagged with the location. And then- Yeah. The, go ahead. So let's, let's well, I want to, uh, I can visualize this, but I want to, kind of paint a picture of what the interface is like. It's a world map. Yeah. And all your photos are in a film strip along the bottom and you can grab any number of photos and assign them a geographic location on the map. And you can zoom way in. You could say, I was standing on this rock at the edge of this lake. 
Yeah. When I took these 85 photos, because most of our mirrorless cameras and, and SLRs do not have GPS modules in them, this is the best way to do this. But I, I want to add to this, Jeff, what you're saying. Um, I like putting my stuff on the map, but the really nice thing for me is I use the map as a, uh, as an organizational feature mm -hmm. because I'm like, Hey, how many photos have I taken in that part of California? And so I can zoom in on the map and it will show these little dots all over the map that my photos are located at. So yeah. carry on. Sorry. I, <laughs> well, no, I, I, I get excited about the map. That's exactly the reason to do it because oftentimes maybe you're going to go back to a location. Then you can see, all right, this this spot over here, I did a whole lot of photos at. So maybe I want to avoid that spot. And I want to look for a different spot. So you can sort of help plan plan your, your shoot that way. Um, one of the things that I love and honestly didn't really realize was there is that you can create saved locations. And what that means is basically you're saying, I want to name – a geographic location. It's sort of actually, it's like an album, basically. Really? Okay. So this is new. It's actually not new. It's been there forever. <laughs> but I, I know it's they haven't done anything this module forever. This is yeah. the thing with it's with classic also. Like the, yeah. there's so much stuff in there that you're gonna run into something. You're like, wow, when did they add this? And if you actually go look it up, it turns out they it's been there for ten years yeah. or whatever. Um, but basically, like let's say I want to create. Um, I want to see all the photos that I shot in Tuscany. So not, you know, not just Italy overall. Um, and I, I could totally go to the map and I could find Italy and, you know, drill down and zoom and whatever. But I just want to see the photos that I shot in the Tuscany area. I see. Yep. And so what you do is you, you basically like, you know, center that spot on the map and then – you create a saved location and it, it just has like a circle around it and you, you increase or decrease the, the circle to represent the area that you want. And any photos that are inside that circle are now part of this saved location. So you could just wow. say, all right, like which photos did I take in Tuscany? In the library module, I could type in Tuscany if I was smart enough to put that in mm -hmm. um, or, you know, maybe, um, you know, like, like, trying to remember like one of the little towns, like maybe Siena, but does, that doesn't catch everything. But I want everything in this geographical area. Switch to the map module, see that I've already set this up, click that, and there are all my pictures. And from there, you could make them into a collection and that goes back into, into your library module. Yep. And it's a, it's just another tool for keeping organized. Um, but it, because it's so visual, it's a visual feast, right? It's a map and I love yes. maps. Yeah. I love that tool. And yeah. people just never talk about it. It's just one of nope. those features that people are like, there's a map in there. You know, Flickr has a similar mm -hmm. uh, feature. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when I'm scouting locations, I'll go into Flickr and go into the Explorer map module and it will show just like in Lightroom, these little dots. And it's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful yeah. tool. Yeah, uh, but I digress. So, <laughs> what was what was another module? Digress? Us? About? What? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> so, um, a, another thing that, that I talk about in the book is the print module, mm. um, and uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, because we should be printing our, our photos. It's just you know a, a good thing to do. And actually, there are a lot of options for creating printer sheets and and. 
I'm already forgetting the terminology. Like a contact sheet. Contact sheet. Thank you. Yep. And and honestly, like I could have written even more about the print module, but there were practicalities of time and page count that, sure. <laughs> that prevented me from sure. doing it. But also, uh, it's worth pointing out that in Lightroom Desktop, you cannot print. There's no way to actually print an image from Lightroom that's, desktop. That's right. I actually got into trouble with that. I was teaching a class and I'm like, somebody said, how do you print from that? Oh, you go to the share button and you click on it and it'll have a print. And I'm like, there's a, no, there's no print nope. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. export as a JPEG and then print it from somewhere else. Yeah. Basically. It, you know, which is, it's weird, but okay. Um, and so, so the, you know, the, the, the book talks a bit about how to do that, but um, honestly, the thing that I got out of it, here's the thing about writing computer books. I've said this in the past. If you want to learn a subject, write a book about it because yeah. it, this forced me to go beyond just like my general surface level knowledge of color profiles and color spaces to really mm -hmm. be able to explain this. And so there's, there's a section on, you know, the fact that, that Lightroom Classic, when you are working in uh, – I have to make sure I say this right. Uh, when you're working in the develop module, it's using Adobe RGB as the color profile. When you're working okay. in like the library module, it's using really? Adobe RGB in most places and I think Profoto RGB in a couple of other specific places. And Really? Wow, yeah. I just assumed to use the same profile all around. That's one wild. would assume. <laughs> yeah, but that's why. But when you get to printing, this becomes very important because if you have printed from Lightroom Classic, you you output to your you know your Epson color printer, and suddenly you're like, this is really dark, or the colors are different, or what's wrong? Why isn't my screen showing the same thing? And you know, like suddenly you are in that color management morass. So. Uh, what I like about Lightroom Classic is it has robust print features that let you do things like create, you know, a, a print proof, and that shows up as basically a a duplicate that you can adjust just for printing. So you're not mm. affecting your your image in your library. Oh, okay. It's basically making a virtual copy, but that yeah. way. If you want something to look good coming out of the printer, maybe it needs to be uh, brightened or the shadows need to be brightened, whatever. Uh, the, this happens to me a lot because, yeah. you know, you have a screen that's that's pushing light at you, but on the paper, it's reflected light. So, yeah, everything looks different on paper. Yeah. It's amazing. So you don't want to go and re-edit your image that looks great everywhere else just for this one thing. So it, it has a lot of power. Now – there are also other modules, and I will say up front, um, there are like the the book and the slideshow and the web module. And I decided not to cover those in the book, again, because of time and, and page count, but also because the web module. The idea is you can build a website out of it. And maybe I'm being wow. too presumptuous, but nobody does that. If you're going to have a website, you're going to use Squarespace. You're going to use mm -hmm. WordPress. You're going to you know, do something like that. Like. That's that's just kind of not a thing, um, and then in the, the the slideshow super powerful. It can make amazing slideshows, um, but we're starting to funnel down into the needs of, of of which photographers. It's a very niche niche module, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've used the slideshow module to make time lapse videos. 
there's certain ways oh. to set up the slideshow module to export a video. Oh, but that's, that's cool. the only time yeah. I would ever think to even even recognize that it was there. So, you know, it, and that's such a niche thing. That's its own book, right? So <laughs> let's talk about the book a little bit. Okay. It's the Rocky Nook Lightroom Course and Compendium, which is a series of books, right? That Lightroom, that Rocky Nook has for yeah. a lot of these big kind of cornerstone programs that Adobe has out. So what does, what's the breadth of this book? I mean, it's, it's huge. It's 332 pages. So yeah. what are people going to learn when they, when they read it? Okay. So the title, The Course and Compendium, what that refers to is it's, it's kind of two books in one. I sound like a salesman. It's two books in one. Two books in one. Two for the price of one. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the the idea is you want to learn Lightroom. But as we've amply showed during the time we've been talking, there's just a lot there. You want somebody to you know walk you through how to do this. And so the first section of the book is the course. And it is – like it's a course. You you download the files that I provide and you take those files and you go step by step to learn the basics of importing photos, doing real basic um, metadata uh, management, cropping, color adjustments, light adjustments, black and white conversion. Sure. And then exporting it as something that you could then – you know, send to somebody else or put on social media or whatever. And so, it, you know, it's it's step by step. You do exactly what it says so that you get a good overview of, of, of how to use all the different parts without necessarily getting stuck in the weeds of using the, the HSL color panel in mm -hmm. the develop module, which is, you know, extensive. Yeah. So that's that's the course. And then the compendium is basically the reference uh, section. So when you're going through the course and you you do some color adjustments and you say, oh, wow, this, this HSL tool seems really cool. Like I just want to adjust the greens in my image. So then you flip back to the compendium and the section in that talks about color and how to use those tools that goes into a bit more detail and has like – other examples and awesome stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. So someone like me who's been using Lightroom forever mm -hmm. is going to probably lean on the compendium part a lot for reference. Probably, like, yeah. oh, you know, this panel always confused me. Let me go you know, learn about it. Yeah. Whereas someone who's uh, maybe transitioning to Lightroom or starting to use it more seriously uh, what I what I'm envisioning is someone who's used a lot of plugins in the past, and they're like, "Wow, I didn't know Lightroom had all these features. Yeah, I've just used it to organize my photos. Now uh, I want to learn how to use all these AI masking things like that." Yeah. They're going to lean on that course side, and you're going to walk them through it panel by panel and get them, you know, up to speed yeah. on all those features. That's amazing. Well, and also like I think there's my my gut says that there's a considerable number of people out there who are are good with Lightroom, but they've not really experimented with any of the new stuff. So mm -hmm. you've been doing basic adjustments, exposure color, all that, like great. But there's a whole lot of talk about AI and the new masking panel and the new AI-based denoise feature. And do you want to go and like sit through a, a bunch of YouTube videos? Maybe not. Probably but not. Yeah. You take this book, even if you're experienced, but you're just not sort of up to speed on on what it can do now. You can just run through the course really quick and 
then get a good overview and then dig back into the, the rest of it. Yeah. Lightroom is so big. It is one of the few it's programs big. that I use that I would actually want to have a book on my desk. And I'm so glad you wrote this because there are a lot of Lightroom books out there and they tend to take a selective approach. Like I'm going to show you how to, you know, and most much of much of them are dated because they've changed the program so much over the last few year. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, to have a reference manual that is up to date and complete is hard to find. So nice, nice work putting in that year. Of effort. <laughs> I know you've worked really hard. We've talked about this for months, right? I know. I know. I know. Thing. Well, and, and let me do another plug too. Because it's a Rocky Nook book, and for some people, this is really important. For me, it's really important. You will be able to get a hardcover, nicely printed, high-quality version where the colors in the book have been, you know, like like we put a lot of work to make sure the colors match up. And, yep. you, know, um, you know, not to sound like a jerk, but I have some books from other publishers um, that, you know, they – they they skimped on the printing. And so you have this photo book where the photo quality and the image quality and the print quality is just not so great. And Rocky Nook, like they they do whatever the extra thing is that's needed to make a really nice book. And yeah. so I'm looking forward to like having that in my hand and being able to flip through it. Uh, because I'm, you know, I'm gonna totally toot my own horn here. Some of the pictures that I chose, like, like they're all my pictures, except for there's, there's one from you. And then there was one that I got from stock for various reasons, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, like they're all my photos and there are some really they're, nice they're photos. They're going to look awesome. They're going to look really good. I liked a lot of those photos. <laughs> yeah. And then they're not tiny in there. Right. So oh, no. I've, I've yeah. gone through the book that Rocky Nook does such a good job of respecting the design of the books. It's yeah. not just screenshot text, screenshot text, the layout, the full page of photos, you know, mm-hmm. inspiration stuff in there too. It's a beautiful book just to sit and look at, but you can also get an e-version to have on your iPad. So if you're, you know, don't want to lug this big 332 page book around yeah. um, to the coffee shop, you can have it on your iPad as well or on your, on your computer. Yep. So how do we get this book? I mean, I know it's not done yet. It's, it's literally in process. <laughs> so yeah. So as we record this, it went to the printer early this week. So because we are dealing with print books, there's going to be a lag. So the print book is currently scheduled to arrive in September, which sounds kind of crazy. But I think most of that's that... if the ship doesn't get stuck in the canal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think I've been on site when a book has been printed, uh, which is a super cool experience, by the so way. Fun. And it doesn't take them that long to actually print the book. And and I don't know how many they're printing, but you know, like if thousands of copies. What takes the long time is to box them up, put them on a boat because I, it's being printed, I think, in China. Um, and, and, you know, and then the boat has to make its way and then it goes to the distributors and, and all of that. So that's, that's just the lag. Although I complain that it's not going to come out till September. And then I have people who are publishing fiction books who are like, yep, my book's all done. It's all ready to go. It'll be available in 2024. Yep. So, you know, like that's just the business. Uh, however, the ebook that you mentioned will be available mid June. Okay. Again, a plug for Rocky Nook. They create a PDF, but they also create like Kindle versions and EPUB versions. Um, and 
they have a separate team who actually makes those ebooks so that they aren't just you know sort of spit into the format like like it it, it should be a high quality reading experience even without the actual layout. Right. Um, so it, the best way to do the best way to get it is to order it from Rocky Nook because you can get a bundle that includes the print and the ebook. So you can get the ebook and then when the print version comes out, it'll it'll show up. Um, or you could just get the ebook version. And I can probably say this: I have sort of my longstanding code. If you use the the code Carlson forty at checkout, you get forty percent off. That's crazy good deal. That's crazy good deal. So definitely use that. So if they go to Rocky Nook today, what are they going to see? They're going to see coming soon, right? Coming soon. Yeah. So I believe what they do is as soon as the ebook is available, that's when they they let you order it. Okay. Um, And I I think that's just to, you know, satisfy the – you want to order something, you want to get it right away. Right. Um, Yeah. You don't want to wait. Yeah. Forget you ever ordered it. Um, There there might be – Definitely Check our show around. notes. We'll we'll have it yeah. in the show notes, and we'll have a link to the Rocky Nook site, so you don't have to type in Rocky Nook because that's a that's a lot of work. <laughs> um, you have some other books also on Rocky Nook and other other places that we'll put some links to as well. Um, we mentioned the digital uh, asset management book that you wrote a few years ago for Take Control. Uh-huh. We you're a prolific writer, right? So this is a big one, though. I want to pat you on the back. This is a big book. Thank you. And this is I know how much work. you put into it. Yeah, and it's. It's what I'm really excited about because I, I, even though I've used Lightroom for a long, long time, I still, there's certain panels and things where I'm like, I really wish I understood this at a more molecular level because then I could use it better. I don't think I'm very efficient sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, with Lightroom. So I'm looking forward to spending more time with the book. I've already looked through it quite a bit and it's, it's, it's great. I uh, also will say this, that um, Lightroom has become a program that I don't dread sitting down and using. So mm-hmm. I couldn't always say that. It used to be, it'd be like, oh man, I got to go work in Lightroom. And now yeah. I find myself in Lightroom when I have some time on my hands and I'm like, let's go play with some images and see what I can do. And having your book, especially with that compendium side, is going to be really nice because I can kind of kick the tires on some of the, the more obscure features that I don't yeah. use day to day. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And if I can plug another feature of the book, there's also a chapter. It's not super long, but just on improving performance because there are things that you can do if you are using Lightroom Classic, for example, on a like an older, slower computer. My recommendation is get something new and modern because it will absolutely pay dividends in Lightroom. Like. Um, Lightroom is, is much better about taking advantage of the CPU. Um, they're adding more features that are tying into the, the GPU. So, you know, graphics acceleration and that, that really helps, but there are things that you can do like I detail, you know, when you might want to use smart previews in your library, for example, to speed up some things. And when you import things, you can choose what types of previews you want and you can make that choice. Well, as I'm editing, I want the least amount of friction. So right. I'm going to generate one, one previews that'll take longer for my import to happen. I'll go get a cup of coffee, but while I'm editing, I'm just focused on that and I'm not being slowed down by the program. So there are things like that. There are trade-offs that you can do that are sort of scattered throughout the, the settings and the, the program that, I mean, a lot of people just don't, 
bother with because right. it's it, it's too much. And so I explain like how how to do a lot of this. Yeah, because watching that beach ball is just it's the beach ball is the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. So that was awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to uh, to get that paper book. I've been reading the E Virgin and enjoying it. So look for that soon, folks. The ebook will be available in June. Printed book coming in September. Okay, in our show notes for a link to the site, and when it goes live in June, you'll be able to order the ebook and start working right away. As with all of our episodes, you can find all kinds of information at photocombobulate.com. Each show has its own show notes page. You can get some more background information and links. And uh, there's other episodes that we've talked about Lightroom in. So go back and check out our conversation with Julianne Cost. That's one that mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed. When we were talking, we spent a lot of time talking about Lightroom. So if you're just dig- digging into Lightroom, that's another great resource. So find that at photocombobulate.com. Anything else, Jeff? Uh, I kind of feel like we've covered everything and at the same time only scratched the surface. So I would say if people have other questions, if there's something that we didn't talk about, send us a note, either comment on the site or send Mm -hmm. an email to Mason or I, and we'll do our best to either answer directly or maybe, you know, collect some questions for a future episode Yeah, uh, because there's so much, uh, so much you can do. Um, And, you know, and we didn't even get into some of the like little tips and tricks you touched on the fact that you can actually uh, hide the module names that you're not using, which I, I've i used this program for years. I had no idea you could do that. You could change the the, <laughs> the nameplate name that shows yeah. it like, like there's that, there's all sorts of things like that. I mean, gosh, maybe, maybe we even do an episode on like just crazy just uh, hidden secret hidden things in apps. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Get in touch. Let us know if there's anything else that that we can help you with because it's all here. Yeah, you've (laughs) you've accumulated all this knowledge. We've got to plummet now. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Just so you know, since you reached this so far into the episode, we're publishing these as we get them done. We're both pretty busy, so we are not on any kind of set schedule with our episodes. So they come out when we get them done, and we want them to be good, so we're not just here blowing air at you. All right. Go get some rest, Jeff. You, you uh, t- you've earned a break. Uh, I think some 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 coffee and some sleep will be great. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. See you later. Sorry. Bye, buddy. Bye.